Be encouraged as you open and study God's Word with us today on Abounding Grace. The greatest source of encouragement for you and me is found in God's Word. You know how sometimes you get through those seasons where you go, if I just talk to so-and-so, I'd be better. That, that may be true. Or if I could just get to church, it's, it's Thursday, and there's no one to gather together. There's no community group. And, you know, if I could just get together with the saints, then I'd be encouraged. And, you know, that's probably true. But the greatest source of encouragement for you and me is found right here in the Bible. Well, there's something about the Word of God, because you can't read it like a novel. The Bible is not a novel. You can't read it like a textbook, because the Bible is not a textbook. You, you can't read it like, you know, uh, autobiography or a biography, because it's not a biography. It's the very living words of God. So when you come to the Bible, you don't just read it, but you also exercise faith that God is going to do what He said. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set We're delighted to share the next half hour with you and welcome again to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll be in John chapter 10 and Psalm 23 today. In recent broadcasts, we've learned that we have a good shepherd in Jesus who gives his life for his sheep. We'll continue in that realm today. Maybe you've been in one of the deepest, darkest valleys of your entire life in recent days. When we're hit with a flood of pain, it's good to remember God is with us and there to help us. That's one of the characteristics of the Good Shepherd that we'll explore today. Here is Pastor Ed. We are studying the book of John on the weekends. Uh, If you're new to Calvary Chapel, that's one of the marks of our ministry here. One of the things that we do uh, is we teach through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. There's a word for that. It's called expository teaching. Uh, We teach expositionally. It's a big fancy word that just means through the Bible, verse by verse. Uh, And one day, I hope uh, to be able to stand before you at this pace. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but my heart is to one day be able to stand before you and say that I haven't shunned to to give you the whole counsel of God from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. And that's where we're working our way through. We're in the Gospel of John, uh, and in John chapter 10 is where we are in our study. Jesus said that he's the good shepherd, and he gives his life for the sheep. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And I believe him. Do you believe him? When Jesus says he's the good shepherd, I believe him. Um, Not only do I believe him because the Bible says such, and I trust the Bible, but I believe him from personal experience. This is a personal statement that Jesus is making. He's not making just a theological statement. For those of us that follow him, he's making a personal statement out of relationship. He says, one of the ways you're going to relate to me is that I'm the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And it's in Psalm 23 that we pause to say, okay, what does a good shepherd look like? What are the attributes? What are the benefits of having a good shepherd? And we studied through the first section of Psalm 23 uh, as young David, or David uh, as a man, wrote 
just six verses. It's broken down into six verses, and in the English translation, depending on what version you're using, about 117 words. And it's an encouraging psalm. Even to people that don't have a relationship with God, they like this psalm. Uh, even those that might not be considered churchgoers, uh, even those that might not be considered religious, they may still value these words, these truths, because they're, they're so sweet. They're, they're so wonderful. And I want to be uh, a place of, I want to be a, a messenger of reminder today that the greatest source of encouragement for you and me is found in God's word. That that is where, you know how sometimes you get through those seasons where you go, if I just talk to so-and-so, I'd be better. That, that may be true. Or if I could just get to church, it's, it's Thursday, and there's no one to gather together. There's no community group. And, you know, if I could just get together with the saints, then I'd be encouraged. And, you know, that's probably true. But the greatest source of encouragement for you and me is found right here in the Bible. Now, some of you are thinking, now, wait a minute, Ed, I've taken you up on that before, and I was discouraged, and I opened up the Bible, and, and I just decided, you know, wherever I open it up, I'm going to read. And there you are, you open it up, and it was Leviticus, and you're like, what? 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 And so, but Ed said to read it, so I read it, and then I just wasn't encouraged. Well, there's something about the Word of God, because you can't read it like a novel. The Bible is not a novel. You can't read it like a textbook, because the Bible is not a textbook. You can't read it like, you know, autobiography or a biography because it's not a biography. It's the very living words of God. So when you come to the Bible, you don't just read it, but you also exercise faith that God is going to do what he said. And one of the things that God said he's going to do with the Bible is that when his word goes out, it will not return empty or void, that it's going to accomplish. So even if you did open up to Leviticus, and let's just say you're discouraged If you ever open up to Leviticus, just put a bookmarker there to read it at another time and move over to something that's more understandable, like one of the Gospels, like John or like Matthew, where you can just learn from Jesus himself and at a more encouraging time, you can go to one of the more difficult books of the Bible and really study it or understand what God meant when he laid down different rules and regulations for the children of Israel. You, here's what the Bible says. Listen, jot it down. Psalm 119 verse 14 says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. That this was the attitude. David, again, writing Psalm 119, he wrote for us Psalm 23, but he also said, I, bring, I have great joy when I read your Bible. It's, it's joyful for me. And, and think about it. It's more joyful than all riches. Now, we, we thought last night we were kind of joking around. Just think, think about if you won the lottery, how happy you would be. Now, if you won the lottery, I've got a couple questions for you. Number one, why are you playing it? And number two, are you a regular tither? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing around, just messing around with you. So, so let's just say you came into a lot of money. Uh, you know, that it maybe just, maybe more, something more practical, like your boss called you in and said, you've done such a great job, I'm going to raise your pay 50%. And you're like, What? And you get on the phone right away. You won't believe it, honey. We can finally buy a house. Or we can find, you won't, we're out of debt. You know, and you came into all riches. I, I think if you came into some money, you'd be happy. Don't you? Would you? Yes or no? I, I think if you came into some money and it was just a blessing and it just was there. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this is life changing. This is amazing. Think about that feeling. And the psalmist says that coming into the word of God is better than that. It's better than that. And you, well, don't we have to step back and go, wait a minute, it's been a while since I was that happy with the word of God. Then I would suggest that you really pray for it. Because when you're discouraged, if, I, if you're discouraged and you're looking for encouragement in the word of God, in the Bible, then just go to Psalm 23. It will encourage you. 
to think of the benefits of having a good shepherd. Because that's how we saw last time, and we looked at the first three verses last time in Psalm 23, where we learned that the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. Because he's in total control, I can be content with where I am in life. I know he's, he's watching out for me. I know that he's my source of provision. It says in verse 2 that he makes me lie down in green pastures. I mean, he makes me rest. He takes care of me. He knows when I'm tired. He knows what I need. He provides safe conditions. Remember, in order for a sheep, and by the way, if you weren't with us last time, we studied this first section, and you can pick it up on the online or CDs downstairs, but for a sheep to, to rest, all the conditions had to be perfect. I mean, he just had to be able to trust and lay down and know that the shepherd is going to watch out for him. And that's what he does. He makes us lie down, not in, in rocky places, not in diff- but, but he finds the green pastures for us. And he leads us, notice, in verse 2, beside still waters. He makes sure all the conditions are right for us. And then he says in verse 3, he restores my soul. Why? Because my soul gets damaged. Not just me, but my soul. It starts in the mind. Sometimes the mind then will translate into the body. And ultimately, it starts to deal with the very person that I am. My soul, who I am. That which relates to God. Which will live eternally with God. Our shepherd restores to us what's been stolen away in this rough and tumble world, in this sick, stain, sin-stained world that just seems to oppress us. We, we have this restoration, and, he, and then not only does he restore me, but he leads me in the right way because he's making a name for himself, Jesus is. He's wanting his name to be revealed, and we looked at all that last time. And so with that, let's pick up in verse 4 where we, where we pick up here today where it says, Yea, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So not only does God restore our souls, but there are those times, and it's interesting, this is right in the middle of the psalm, that we pass through the valley of the shadow of death, valleys. Life is not lived on the mountaintops. Don't you wish it was sometimes? I mean, we will often refer to our retreats and things to get away up into the mountaintops, you know, just to get away. And in the Bible, the mountaintop experiences, we use that phrase because each time, so many times in the scriptures, you'll find people going up to the mountaintop to commune with God. And the idea, there's, it's very picturesque where you're getting away from everything, you're getting away alone, you're taking time to get out of the hustle and bustle. And, and so retreats are like that. You know, we're coming up on the women's retreat here very soon as I see Marie starting to prepare for it. And ladies, you're going to get away, you're going to unplug, and you're going to head out to go seek the Lord. And we'll refer to that as a mountaintop experience experience. The only problem is, is you only stay up there for a day and a half or two. And then you've got to what? Come back down into the valley of reality. Uh, And sometimes the valley of reality, which is where life is lived, involves death. Death is an enemy. That's why it's so painful when we experience death so close to us. Death is an enemy. It's the result of sin. And it does bring a person through the valley. It is a shadow. The shadow lands And you know, the Lord is with me even in the valley that's full of destruction and death. God is with me and I'm not alone. It's it's not just through us having to deal with sickness and death in our personal relationships, but this also has an eternal aspect to it. Because if you are in Jesus Christ today, then the Lord will be with you when you yourself face the valley of death personally. You will be with Jesus Christ eternally. He'll never leave or forsake you. You won't be alone and isolated in a very scary, difficult place. 
You see, for the shepherd and for the sheep, which is the picture that the psalmist is using, out on the arid terrains of the fields, dangers lurked around every corner. And David himself knew of the dangers of the rampaging rivers in flood season, the avalanches, the rock slides, the poisonous plants that were all around, the predators that were waiting to pounce and take advantage of the weakling and the the indefensible sheep. And he was able to take care of them. Nothing took him by surprise. How? But by being with the sheep. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? You might want to star this. Put a little circle around it. Because you're with me. How How were the sheep protected? Because the shepherd was with them. He didn't delegate it. He didn't um, give it away. He didn't sub it out, you know, subcontractor. The shepherd took care of the sheep. And he still does that today. Very much even as we walk through some of the deepest, darkest valleys of life. And I have found that this truth, the presence of God in my life, I have found that this gives me the necessary perspective on life that I need. Because we need an adjustment every once in a while. Maybe it's a, a, a health scare uh, maybe it's a financial crisis. Those valleys. There's a lot of valleys. Not just the shot. You know, death can, can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. You know, dreams can die. Hopes can die. Situations that you, like, they just, it's painful. It's difficult. And the only thing that gets you through is the very presence of God to give us the right perspective. Because when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, and you recognize the very experience and presence of Jesus Christ, you can't help but get the right perspective of what really matters. You know, the things that really matter in life. Think about that. If you were given a quiz tomorrow, you go to work in the morning at 8 o'clock, on your desk is a quiz. What really matters to you in life? You might be very careful answering that quiz because you might think it's a trick question. They might be, for your moment, some of you might be thinking, oh, wait a minute, what really matters? Okay, my boss gave this to me. I probably should put in the top three something about this crazy company. I better put this company matters because if I don't say this company matters, then they're going to let me go. I mean, come on, think about it. It's just the reality. You're just, you may not write that, but you'll think about it. And, and you'll be thinking about where you're at until, unless you're in the valley of shadow of death and you don't really care about your company. You know what you care about? You care about your family, the people that are closest to you. You start thinking about people that are close to you. you. You know what you care about? Your relationship with the Lord. I mean, you start thinking about God. You're very real to me. It's very important. You're not worried about your stuff. You're not worried about your company. You're not worried about the, the material things of life. I mean, it depends on what stage of life you're in of how you'd answer that question. And doesn't the truth of God's word, doesn't his very presence and a few trials along the way really start to make things come crystal clear that matter in life? I couldn't help as I was putting this together. It couldn't help uh, to think back in the time when, when we came home from dinner and our house was on fire. I mean, I'm not talking about a little bush in the front yard, God talking to us. I'm talking about the whole house was filled with black smoke because there was a kitchen fire. And as a result of that little kitchen fire, while the structure of the house stayed intact, we got home in time for that, everything in the house was lost or damaged, one or the other. And it really, you know, we were just sitting in our burned out garage, you know, that the smell was like nothing. And I just remember looking at Marie and go, it's just stuff, man. You're okay? Yep. You're okay? Yep. You know, we're looking around. We're all okay. I guess we better find a place to live tonight. You know, it's like, that's about what it is. That's all that matters. And and really, you think about some of the things you've been through in the valley. Really, it doesn't matter, the stuff. Not even the pictures. The pictures are not as important as my wife. 
in my walk with the Lord. I can say this. One, one of the things that was most important to me uh, was to get this Bible out of there. And it did make it. It doesn't smell anymore. It's kind of gone through, but it did make it. I got my Bible out of there. But you think about, we, we used to talk to the kids, you know, if anything happened, what would you take out? And when they were young, you know, Nintendo or whatever, you know, whatever it was. That's, I know it's a long time ago because they were little kiddos, but, you know, really it doesn't matter. And doesn't, the presence of the Lord in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death starts to give you the priorities in life. Because if you think of in the Bible, what's going to be eternal? What is eternal? What's going to translate really from this life to the next? It's, it's really just two things. The word of God and the souls of men. That's it. That's all it really requires, our time and attention. When you are storing up treasures in heaven, you're storing up treasures in heaven by investing all that you have in people and your time in the word of God. That, that's all that really matters. The things that matter in life are people and getting the word of God into people. Because dark times come. Shadows of death come our way, both in a very personal, close to us, for us personally, we're going to face death one time, well, soon enough. You know, it's a point of wants for a man to die, and then the judgment. And the floods of pain are all around us, whether it's our personal life or our friends and family. The avalanches of dreams crumbling. The poisonous plants of the world that's always bidding me to nibble on them. And unfortunately, we do all too much. Predators are before us and behind us. We're going to find out in a moment in verse 5 that God, our good shepherd, will even prepare a table before our enemies. Like our enemies will be watching us feasting at the table of God. And the shepherd would take good care of us. Now, remember, we've looked at this uh, because this is a section in John 10 that the shepherd had all kinds of tools that were available to him. He had a belt around his tunic, you know, and it was wrapped around and things would be hanging on his belt like a little leather pouch where he could take rocks and maybe bring his lunch with him and have little stones there ready to, to shoot out. Next to the pouch would be his sling or his slingshot. Because he was a master, and it wasn't a slingshot like, you know, that you would pull back. It was one that you would swing around, and you'd be able to, boom, pull the, shoot the rock right exactly where you would want. A very skilled shepherd would know how to use the sling, how to have his pouch, his leather pouch. He'd have a horn of oil with him, because the horn of oil, as we'll see in a moment, would be used um, in a variety of different ways to anoint the, the sheep and take care of them. But of most importance here is the staff and the rod. That's what the psalmist says. The staff and the rod, they bring comfort. Now, the staff was about an eight-foot-long, seven- to eight-foot-long stick with a large, rounded crook on it. I'm sure if I had one to show you, you'd know exactly. How many of you guys know what a shepherd's staff looks like? You got, so, you know, it's, it's long, it has a little crook on it, and that would bring comfort to the sheep because they'd often, the sheep would often feel that. Uh, it would be something they would nudge. It would be something with the hook. They could pull a sheep away from, from a fight. And it was just that visual where you just see it and it brings comfort. And that's what he says. I just know if I, can, if I can't see the shepherd, but I can see his staff, that brings comfort to me. I'm just reminded I've felt that staff before. And if I see the staff, then I know the shepherd is near. But not only the staff, but also the rod. Now, it's hard to conceive right now in our minds how a rod could be such a comfort to the sheep, but it would be because a rod is not seven feet high. It's just a little club. It would be used in hand-to-hand combat with predators if they needed to deal with them face-to-face. And David did. Remember when David was, was talking to King Saul about going to kill Goliath? He said, you know, I have fought lions and bears, man. I, I've taken a lion by the beard. I mean, that, that's like, what's one crazy kid? That's a kid without any fear. 
I mean, that's why I think there's a sense where kids without any fear, like Jesus says, you, you and I are to come to him like little children. There's a bravery and a courage and a trust. Now, of course, that can get you in a little bit of trouble, uh, not having fear, because God is going to develop that where you understand danger. You understand, you know, doing something recklessly and doing something carefully. The shepherd wasn't reckless. He would take on any predator, and he had the club to take care of business. And we also remember, this is by way of review, we, we learned that a shepherd would also on occasion use that club on a wayward sheep in a very loving way. For a sheep that would constantly stray away and thus lead a bunch of other sheep straying away, the shepherd would take that, that rod and break that sheep's leg as he went to go get it from wandering. And then he would take that sheep and put it on, its ne- on his neck and I'm sure you've seen pictures of this as well, where the sheep would hang. On, there's depictions of Jesus with a sheep around his neck. And he would walk around with that sheep until the leg was nursed back to health. And there would be such a loving bond that that sheep would never wander away again, not out of fear, but out of love. There was a deep bond. Now, for the shepherd, for the shepherd with you and me, uh, the Bible speaks of God chastening us. Have you heard that word before, chastening We don't use that word much today, um, but a better word to use in our modern-day vocabulary would be discipline. Parents, you use it all the time. Parents, our responsibility is to discipline, or another word is to train our kids to live in this world. It's not to punish them. Oftentimes, we've been given the wrong message as parents that our role is to punish our kids. No, where our role is to discipline our kids. And out of the discipline, discipline comes of love and direction and always has a, has a thought to the future. Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in John's Gospel. Now, if you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, it's possible someone listening right now is experiencing the discipline or the chastening of God. What's the appropriate response to that? Well, Larry, that's a huge question because there are a lot of proper responses. Uh, I think one is to submit. And what I mean is to accept the situation as it is from the Lord, that he's teaching and growing. I think of, you know, the the perspective of a child that's undergoing discipline that uh, may need to go in if parents are using timeout or removal of electronic devices or just the pain that's associated with sinful decisions, that the proper response is to accept it and to examine what is what is it that God is wanting to show me? What is it that God's wanting to develop in me? Uh, what is it that God is wanting to draw out of me? And I know that one of the next responses would be true repentance, not merely remorse, like, oh, I feel bad and I feel sorry for getting caught or feel sorry for this kind of behavior, but true, real, deep biblical repentance. And I did a Bible study Uh, For those that want to download our free app or go to our website, calvaryco.church, best way to connect with us is the app. And I did a Bible study that uh, covered the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. 
where repentance is wrapped in and explaining. I've even done a Bible study, what is repentance? Because repentance will not only admit our sinful behavior, but will forsake it and will have a true godly sorrow that leads us away from sin. So remember, discipline, you can exchange that word for training. Discipline is training. Yes, it involves the consequences of our decisions, but it's ultimately training us how to follow Jesus, learning to die to ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So I hope you're encouraged, even though discipline, you know, remember this, uh, discipline's not fun, we learn in Hebrews, but it proves to us and reminds us of our Father's love. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. Thank you for sharing that, Pastor Ed. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Erwin Lutzer's excellent book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit, when your decision to change is not enough. This is a must-read for anyone who struggles with getting rid of a nasty habit. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.